And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. You lost your magic. They knocked you off your game. Your Carlness went right out the window. What's with this Carlness? It's not even a, a real word. It's a conjunction, a preposition. It's a philosophy, a way of life. It's your name with Miss attached to it. Bob, listen to me. If you'd have done what I asked you to and come in my dressing room before the show, you'd have known that you weren't supposed to come out here until I introduced you. Jack, I tried to get into your dressing room, but I didn't have a nickel. I understand you're pretty funny as a DJ. Comedy is a kind of hobby of mine. Well, well, actually, it's a little more than just a hobby. Reader's Digest is considering publishing two of my jokes. Really? Yeah. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Honey Dollar. Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, I'll present the conclusion to the Jack Benny program with special guest Walter Winchell, and then Alan Ladd reads another letter and solves a mystery on Box 13. With me, as always, is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? I'm still here. I decided to stick around. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. I know the listeners do as well. Oh, good. (laughs) So what's happening in Hollywood? Well, this is kind of an interesting story. I don't know if you've heard about it, but Harriet Tubman will appear on the front of the $20 bill. Yeah, I yes, did hear about this. Yes, she will be relocating former President Andrew Jackson to the back side of the bill. Did you wow. know that? Jackson's being uh, uh, demoted. Demoted, yeah. exactly. So this is big news. Um, these changes were announced this week as a part of a historic overhaul of U.S. currency. Yeah, that's and not it, the only one. There's other ones, too. Yes, there are. And it's aimed at addressing America's gender inequality. Um, they were deciding between the $10 bill and the $20 bill ultimately went with the twenty dollar yeah, bill because women like twenty dollar bills more than ten dollars. Well, bills. yes, that too. Probably has um, something to do with it. They, who's on the face of the ten dollar bill? Do you recall? Um, on the ten dollar bill, Hamilton. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So um, there's a push to preserve Hamilton's face on the bill because of not only historic reasons but because of the yeah. hit. Broadway musical uh, Hamilton. Uh, okay, that's the biggest that's thing. That's you. Is- You're all about that. I don't know anything about Broadway. Okay. You're Broadway Lisa. <laughs> okay. Um, this is the biggest thing that there is. Um, it's called Hamilton. Really? Yes. And it's about him? It's all about Alexander Hamilton. Okay. Okay, I could sing the song for you, but I'm not sure that would be a great okay. idea. So that really has had an influence. So I think that's really cool that the theater has had an influence on our... On keeping know, him on the 10? I do. Yeah, okay. I do. So Yeah, there's can, a lot of changes to the bills. There are, that. but mm-hmm. these aren't going to take place, I don't think, until about 2018. 17 or 18, yeah. It's going to take a while yeah. to, uh, to make the change. All right, we well, very cool. we look forward cool. to uh, seeing a woman. Thank you very much, Elisa Wolf, which you are, I'm pretty yes. sure. Yes, yes, a yes. woman. All right, it's time now for the Jack Benny program. Here's the conclusion. We started this last time. Let's go back to December 3rd, 1944. Jack Benny and all his gang with special guest Walter Winchell. Hmm. Good thing I held myself back when I did. If I'd hit Wilson, I'd have knocked him cold. What if he does outweigh me? I can handle myself in a fight. They don't call me old blood and guts Benny for nothing. (laughs) I know when I'm right. And when I'm right, I fight. Say, that sounds like a good motto. I know when I'm right. And when I'm right, I fight. Gee, I wonder if that'll ever become as famous as don't give up the ship. It could, you know. 
Imagine years from now, people might be saying, remember those immortal words of Jack Benny. I know when I'm right. And when I'm right, I fight. <laughs> Say... Say, that's pretty good. Yeah, da 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 dum da dee da dum da dum dum dee da da dum Gee, it's a nice day. But Sunday is always nice. People are all dressed up and coming home from... Hello, Reverend. Hello, Mr. Benny. Yep, Sunday's the nicest day in the week. So calm and peaceful and... Good afternoon, Father. Oh, pardon me. Hello, Bing. <laughs> Maybe I should have asked him if he was going my way. I like him, you know, I do. Hello, Rochester. Oh, hello, boss. Say, you're home early. I know. I left before the program was over. Well, I always thought as long as there was one person left in the audience, you'd stay right on out there. <laughs> That's silly. Whatever gave you that idea? Remember in St. Louis when that man in the front row was swatting flies and you thought he was applauding? Well, what about it? If they hadn't dragged you off the stage, you'd have starved to death. <laughs> what are you talking about? I was going off anyway, even if they hadn't started the picture. But, boss, I can't get over you leaving in the middle of your program. Isn't that taking an awful chance? What do you mean, Chance? Well, if LSMFT finds out you were AWOL, you'll be glad you saved all those boxes of J-E-L-L-O. Well, I'm not going to worry about it now. I'll just sit down and be comfortable. Ah, that feels good. Pull off my shoes, will you, Rochester? Sure, boss. There. Now, give me your other foot. Hmm. <laughs> Wait till your toes, boss. There's a dime missing. <laughs> I know. I went to a movie. Now, uh... Now, I wish you'd go out and fix me something, will you? I feel like I need something to pep me up. Okay, I know just the thing. I'll fix you a super zombie. A super zombie? What's it made of? I can't tell you the recipe. It's a military secret. A military secret? Yeah, that's the stuff they use in flamethrowers. <laughs> oh, well, I don't want anything like that. Let's fix me some tea and toast. That's yes, all. sir. I'll answer the door. Yes? I'm from Esquire magazine. <laughs> We printed a story about I know, you. I know. Listen. Well, look, Mr. Benny, now that you're in the privacy of your own home and away from those microphones, tell me, just how old are you? I told you I'm 36. Look, Mr. Benny, I've got a job to do, and I've got to go back to my editor with the facts. The facts. Well, I'm trying... When I show him this, he'll never believe me. I'll be the laughing stock in the office. I don't care about myself, but I've got a wife and two children. Now, look, bud, I'm trying to tell the me, truth. Kick me, beat me, but tell me the truth. Well, if it'll save your job, I'll tell you the truth. I'm 37. 37? Yes. Well, I'll try it. I'll try it. That's all I can do. That's all I can do. Maybe they'll believe me. I hope so. 
What an emotional young man. <laughs> oh, boss! Boss, I've got your tea and toast in here. I'm coming, Rochester. And turn on the radio. I might as well have a little music while I'm eating. You want me to do a pan dance? No, just the music will be enough. <laughs> turn it on, will you, Rochester? Will Harold live? Will Hilda come back to her husband? Will the lost baby be found? Will the bank discover that George has absconded with the money? Will the doctor arrive in time to save Mildred's life? Will Mervyn commit suicide because Cynthia has jilted him? Tune in again tomorrow to hear another cheerful chapter of Happiness House. I didn't know that... I didn't know that Cynthia jilted Mervyn. You missed yesterday's cheerful chapter, boss. Oh, yes, darling. Give me something else, Rochester. Okay. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America. This is Walter Winchell doing a special broadcast for the Sixth Wallow. Hey, listen, Rochester. That's Walter Winchell. gentlemen, this is the sixth time we are having a war bond drive, but the war is an expensive proposition. There is no way to economize. There are no bargain basements in war, no cut-rate sales. Everything must be paid for in cash and in blood. And you are only asked to put up the cash. I know you bought bonds during the other drives, but so did everyone else. Your bond is just as important as your neighbor's. There are no slackers on a battlefield, so let's have none here. Remember, do your share. This is no time to pass the buck unless you pass it across the counter for a war bond. Gee, Rochester, isn't he sensational? He sure is, boss. Yes, sir. And now for some news the time will allow. New Delhi, India. Admiral Mountbatten has exceeded all expectations in the Battle of Burma. He has captured a 100-mile stretch of railroad north of Mandalay. His commandos are striking south of the Irrawaddy. Gosh, that guy Winchell knows everything. And here's one from the Far East. The B-29s are changing the name of Tokyo Harbor to Bombay. <laughs> what a sense of humor. That's Hollywood, a... California. Ladies and gentlemen, the whole movie town is talking about a certain radio comedian who lives in Beverly Hills, who tortures the violin, and is tighter than Dorothy Lamour's surround. <laughs> this fugitive from the cornfield who wears a size 44 girl fool of himself by insisting that it was John Paul Jones who said, don't give up the ship. What? Because of radio censorship and the laws of libel, I am not allowed to mention the name of this war Keegan Witt, who is making such a joke on himself, but his initials are J.B. Watch that. Did you hear what I heard? Did Winchell insinuate that I'm a jerk? That's what he said. That's what the man said. He said <laughs> oh, he did, huh? Although he has been corrected dozens of times, ladies and gentlemen, this blue-eyed boo will not admit that it was Captain James Lawrence who said those famous words. Rochester, turn that off. Out of my way, Rochester. I'm going to see that guy Winchell right now. Hand me my hat, coat, and cane. My heavy cane. <laughs> Well, Rose, that finishes my special bond program. Yes, Mr. Winchell, and you still have about an hour and a half before your regular Jurgens broadcast. Yeah, look, I'm going over the script again. You run out and get yourself a cup of coffee. Where is he? Where is that? Oh, there you are, Winchell. Why, Jack. Jack Benny. It's good to see you. 
Don't give me that good to see you stuff. What is all that you said about me and John Paul Jones? And don't give up the ship. Now, wait a minute, Jack. Just a minute. All I said was that a certain Waukegan wit, who is stingy, tortures the violin, and wears a size 44 girdle, is making a jerk out of himself in the initials of J.B. Well? What makes you think I was talking about you? <laughs> well, for one thing, the initials J.B. But, Jack... I might have been talking about Joan Bennett. Joan Bennett doesn't wear a size 44 girdle. <laughs> to think that you would do this to me, Walter, after all I've done for you. What did you ever do for me? Plenty, but not anymore. Yesterday was positively the last time I'll ever wash my toupee in jargon. <laughs> and another thing, would you? Now, Jack, that's no attitude today. Suppose I did mean you. I wouldn't have mentioned it if I didn't know the facts. Oh, so now you know everything. Who do you think you are, Luella Parsons? <laughs> I know my rights, brother. Oh, Jack, calm down a little. Aren't you getting a little too excited about this? No, I'm not, because I believe in those famous immortal words. I know when I'm right. And when I'm right, I fight. <laughs> Who said that? Jack Benny, why don't you read your history? <laughs> That's who said it. All right, Benny, I try to be patient with you, but now I can get tough, too. Just who do you think you are trying to change history by saying John Paul Jones said don't give up the ship when any schoolboy knows it was Captain James Lawrence? Oh, yeah? Well, let me tell you something, Wincho. You're not going to... Pardon me, Jack. Certainly, Walter. <laughs> yeah? Wincho speaking. What? Your wife had a baby this morning. But how could she? You promised me it wouldn't happen until next week's program. <laughs> oh, never mind. It's too late to apologize now. Hmm. Now, getting back to you, Benny, everybody on your program knows what, that you're wrong about John Paul Jones. But because you're the boss, you bully them and shove them around and make them take orders from you. Well, you can't do that to me. Oh, yeah? Well, let me tell you something, Woodchill. You're not going to... Pardon me, Jack. Certainly, Walter. <laughs> yeah, Winchell speaking. Yes. Hmm. Yes. But, Elliot, I told you you can't keep a secret all week long. Oh, all right. Congratulations. Hmm. Now, getting back to you, Benny, why don't you admit it like a good sport instead of acting like an arrogant boo? It's guys like you with big mouths and little brains who think they know it all. Oh, yeah? Well, let me tell you something, Winchell. You're not going to stand there and... Wait a minute. How come that telephone never interrupts you? Now, listen, Winchell, if there's anything but the famous saying in Navy history, I might admit you're right. But I know Navy history. I was a sailor in the last war. Well, so was I. I was a sailor in the last war, too. And let me ask you something. Do you know anything about Captain James Lawrence? Well, I... Uh... That's what I thought. Now, shut up and let me tell you something about him. James Lawrence was born in Burlington, New Jersey on October the 1st, 1781. He entered the Navy at the age of 17 and rose to the rank of lieutenant four years later. He fought on the Enterprise in 1804 during our war with Tripoli. We? We had a war with Tripoli? Stephen Decatur selected Lawrence as his first lieutenant. He commanded such ships as the Argus, the Vixen, and the Wasp. What? In 1813, well, I mean, commanding the Hornet, he Paul. distinguished himself by capturing the enemy ship, the Peacock. I know, but the Peacock... As a result, but John he was commissioned Paul was in there and received a gold medal from Congress. On June the 1st, I know, but what about Paul? John Paul Jones. Lawrence, commanding the Chesapeake... Sail to meet the enemy ship, the Shannon, the Shannon, about 30 miles away from Boston. Well, John Paul Jones was in Boston. The enemy you know. crew was better than three. But that didn't stop the 
courageous and looks confident, Captain Long. Well, Chapman Long, George, you know, After courageous. Just to the with Captain Long. What, what was Lawrence doing? Just, I mean, as his men carried him below, he beseeched them to keep on fighting by saying, "Don't give up the ship." Well, all right. Later, suppose... the same war cry was used by Captain Perry. I don't care what Captain of Perry said. Or... But it was Captain James Lawrence who said it first. I know, but I don't care. That's the Jack Benny program from December 3rd, 1944, Jack and all his gang. Let's take a break here on Hollywood 360. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Welcome back to Hollywood 360. I'm your host, Carl Amari. To my right, Lisa Wolf, my co-host, and Mike Costella to my left, our executive producer. It's time now for Box 13. Movie star Alan Ladd played Dan Halliday, retired newspaper man turned fiction writer and adventurer extraordinaire. To gain ideas for his books, Halliday placed an ad in the Star Times newspaper, Adventure Wanted Will Go Anywhere, Do Anything, Box 13. All right, it's time now for this January 23rd, 1949 episode of Box 13 called Three to Die. Here's Alan Ladd as Dan Halliday in part one of Box 13. Box 13, with the star of Paramount Pictures, Alan Ladd, as Dan Holliday. Take a letter, Miss Jordan. To Box 13, care of the Star Times. I, uh, I'll need your help. I dare not go to the police for reasons I'll explain when you see me. Please come to my office in the security building. Please come to my office in the security building, signed Douglas McIntosh. Not much of a letter, but then, as the proverb says, great oaks from little acorns grow. And before this was over, the acorn grew into a large, large oak. Douglas McIntosh. That's a Scotch name, isn't it? Ah, you can smell the heather, Susie. Wonder what he wants. Well, if this man is the same McIntosh I looked up, he's building that new tunnel under the river. Oh, gee, maybe he wants you to be a hedgehog. <laughs> No, Susie, they're called sandhogs. Oh, what won't they think of next? Well, I think I'll see what Mr. McIntosh has on his mind. I'll be at the security building, Susie. Security building? Huh. It was the only security I was to know until the whole thing was over. Anyway, I went to McIntosh's office. I was shown right in to an oversized man who looked as big as the Washington Monument in Tweeds. He didn't waste much time. So you're the man, eh? Yes, I'm the man. All right. You call me Mac. What's your name? Holiday. Dan Holiday. All right. Now, Dan, I'm in trouble. Uh-huh. Trouble gets around. Fast. But look here, and I'll tell you quick. I'm a contractor. I bid on this new tunnel. Got the bid and posted my bond to finish the tunnel on time. So far, everything's clear. What now? Then I'm not going to finish in time. Well, why not? Now we get to the point. And a sharp point. You say you're running into trouble? Hey, sabotage. Why don't you call the police? They can't, man. It'd be publicity. Unfavorable. They I... can't risk it. Oh, then what's my problem? Find out who's doing this to me. You suspect someone of doing it? Uh, look, man. Accidents like we've been having don't just happen. They're made. Broken air hoses, emery in the compressors, hundreds of delays. Little things that add up to hours. Oh, I see. Another thing. So far, the men working for me think these things are accidents. 
But the moment they suspect somebody's doing the dirty work in that tunnel, they'd walk out. Sandhagen's dangerous enough itself. In short, somebody's trying to ruin you. Exactly. It would ruin me. The contract would go to someone else. They'd not get another contract for years. But what can I do? I'm not a detective. You see, I... I beg your pardon, Mr. McIntosh, but... Uh, Can't you see? I'm busy. What do you want? Telegram. I thought you ought to see it right away. Uh, All right. Read it. Well, uh... Oh, it's... It's all right. You can talk in front of him. Dan, this is Fred Harris, construction engineer. Harris, Dan Holliday. I need to know you. Now, what about that wire? Uh, the last shipment of concrete we ordered was derailed about 200 miles from here. What? Well, don't just stand there. Get every truck out on the road. Get that concrete here. You ought to have enough sense to think of that without coming to me first. Go ahead. Get it down. Yes, sir. You see what I mean, Dan? Another delay. Who's this Harris? He thinks he's going to be my son-in-law. Also, he thinks an engineering degree makes him a great man. That it takes the place of 15 years of experience. That's an argument I'd rather watch from the sidelines. Well, go on with your story. Well, we have to finish in three weeks or I'll forfeit my contract. McIntosh told me everything he knew. It wasn't much. Only that whoever was doing the dirty work causing accidents, delays, had to be working in the tunnel. So we went to the tunnel. But first, before I was taken down into the workings, I was given khaki coveralls and a fiber helmet. And a little metal tag to hang around my neck. Mac explained the tag. Every sandhog gets one of those. It's got his own number on it. Oh, what's it for? Ever hear a case on disease? Oh, the Benz? Yeah. yeah. On one side of the tag, it explains the man is a case on worker working under pressure. Oh, so if the disease hits him on the surface, he can be given proper treatment. Oh, that's it. There are six places in the city where that can be treated. The man is put into a chamber, pressure increased. Then gradually decreased. Mm, like a diver. If he comes up too fast, the nitrogen in his blood is forced into his tissues. Causes pain. And sometimes worse. You seem to know a lot about it, Dan. <laughs> I'm a writer. A writer has to know a little about everything. <laughs> then I hope you'll be able to tell me more about what's going on down there. All right. Ready? Mm-hmm. I'm ready. Let's go. Together, Mac and I rode one of the hoists down into the workings. My ears began to pop from the pressure, and I swallowed hard to keep them open. Then we came to the bottom of the shaft, about 150 feet below the surface of the ground. Mac looked around for a minute, and then... Angus! Angus! Here! Come here! A short, powerfully built man walked over to us. He was grinning as he said to Mac. Ah! What brings the boss into the turtle? Angus, meet a friend of mine, Dan Holliday. Dan Angus Campbell, my foreman. Best man in the world in his line. <laughs> Aye, the best beside yourself. How do you do, Dan? How are you, Angus? First rate. Except we had another little rumpus today, Mac. Uh, what? Another break in the air hose at the shield. The hose whipped around. Anybody hurt? Aye, Phil Evans. Hose got him right in the middle. He's done for this job. Won't work for a month. Broken ribs. Uh, another one. Aye. You visiting us here, Dan? Well, you might call it that. Dan's a writer. Doing a story on sand hugging. Wants atmosphere. Uh, uh, you'll get it here. You want to see the works? Uh, show him around, Angus. And be careful of him. Don't you worry, Mac. Good. I'll go back to the office now. Come back there when you finish, Dan. Oh, sure. Oh, it's got him worried, Dan. And little wonder. Every penny he stands to lose. Every penny. That bad, huh? Worse. 
And if I ever catch the one that's doing it, I'll whip him around with me bare hands. You and Max seem to be good friends, huh? I started together 30 years ago in Scotland. Uh-huh. Well, time's fleeting. Want to show me around? Sure. Let's get going. And that's the first portion of Box 13, January 23rd, 1949, with three to die. We'll get back to it when we come back here on the Hollywood 360 Radio Network. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Welcome back to Hollywood 360. It's time now for the conclusion to Box 13. I followed Angus into a big airlock. It was a reinforced concrete compartment with double steel doors. As one door closed behind us, the pressure was built up to equal that in the tunnel. It built gradually. But I knew what would happen if it went down fast. Caisson disease. A terrible, racking pain. Brother, I had a lot of respect for the men who worked down there day after day, taking risks, big chances every time they descended into the workers. Then he opened another steel door, and Angus and I were in the tunnel itself. As soon as my ears became used to the noise, Angus guided me to a small flat car. We got on and rolled down narrow gauge tracks to the center of the tunnel. If you can hear me, this car runs down by gravity. Got a handbrake on it to slow it or stop. There's a motor for running back up. Saves time on a job like this. How long is this tunnel? This side's about a half mile long now. This side? Aye. It started on the other bank of the river the same time we did. Oh, did you have any trouble over there? No, only on this side. But we're keeping up with them. I'll keep driving till this thing's finished, accidents or no accidents. How much time have you got? Three weeks. Think you'll make it? We've got to, or Max stands to lose every neck. Look, there's the end of the track. I looked ahead. A tremendous scaffold rose into the air. Men covered it like ants. Working with pneumatic drills, shovels, wheelbarrows. Dump trucks ran back and forth, filled with the mud and shale dug out of the wall of earth that lay ahead. I looked up and I felt a little funny when I realized that right over my head was the river. And lots of clean, fresh air. While down here was nothing but the deafening noise of the hammers. And the thought that death worked right next to every one of these men. Angus noticed me gazing up at the scaffold. First time you ever saw anything like this, eh? Yes, yes. What holds all that mud back? That shield and compressed air. Air? Just air holding back the river? <laughs> Aye. You see, compressed air here in the tunnel is built up to a pressure equal to the pressure that's shoving down from above. Oh, in other words, if the pressure outside this tunnel is, well, 45 pounds per square inch, that's the pressure in here. Right. This may not be a good question, but uh, what happens if the pressure in here gets less? We'd be crushed to jelly. Uh, nice thought. That's no all. There's always the danger of a blowout. What's that? Sometimes we hit a weak spot in the riverbed. The bed won't take all the pressure we've got in here. And you get a blowout, like a tire blowing out. Aye. The men, machinery, equipment, all blown to the surface of the river and into the air. Has that ever happened? Aye. And once, only once, mind you, a man lived to tell about it. Angus, I take off my hat to you boys down here. A million people drive through tunnels every day. Yet maybe not one in a hundred stops to think how the tunnel was built. And what it cost. Not only in money, but in injury. In death. 
Uh, when a man takes to sand organ, he takes to the dangers too, only. Only what? We've only got a half crew working today. Oh? Why? Two men have been killed. Nobody wants to be the third. Superstition? Maybe. But what should the men stay in home until the thirds? Well, uh, what I said. Angus showed me the whole thing. Oh, there were a million ways in which someone could sabotage the works. Breaking air holes, tamper with the compressed air gauges, lots of ways. Then later, Angus took me to a complicated affair. It was like an elevator cage. In fact, it was an elevator, as Angus explained. This is the latest thing. Combination elevator and decompression chamber. Hop in, we'll go back up. We go up slow, Dan. As we go up, the pressure in here is decreased until it's equal to that of the surface. Oh, then there's no danger of caisson disease. Not if we go up slow enough. And the pressure's reduced. I set the gauges to do it for us. Oh, I see. Well, did you see enough to write your story? No. No, I don't think I have. Not yet. So you, you didn't see anything done? Of course not, Mac. How could I? I was hoping you might get an idea. Yeah, but I didn't. Uh, you going back again? What could I find? Try, try it, man. Oh, but I don't think I could find it. Yeah, you advertised to adventure. You, you couldn't get it in a better place. Yes, yes, I know. But how could I explain myself down there? You're a writer. Use your imagination, man. Mm-hmm. Well, suppose... Suppose I went back there as a worker. As a sand hog, you mean? Mm-hmm, that's it. But you don't know anything about it. I can handle a hammer, a shovel, and... Uh, <laughs> you'd get dirty and tired. Every muscle in your body would holler out loud at you. <laughs> well, I can always say I'm doing it for my art. Be a sand hog, see how it feels, then write about it. By Harry, man, you've got it. All right, then. Starting tomorrow, you're a sand hog. <laughs> Oh, that was the way to do it. But when I got home that evening, I thought about it. That huge scaffold. Men scrambling over it. The pressure within the tunnel holding back the tons and tons of mud and silt ready to come in and crush everyone. What, uh, what if that pressure failed? What if they hit a weak spot in the riverbed and there was a blowout? The more I thought about it, the more inclined I was to... Yes? Telegram. Oh. Shove it under the door, will you? Right. Oh, and what a telegram. It read, Save for the fact that I don't want more bloodshed, you'd have gotten yours today. Stay away from the tunnel, or you'll be the third to die. telegram the next day, and what he said filled the air with dark blue color for ten minutes. Then... We can check to see who sent this. No dice, Mac, I did. And? It was sent from a pay phone booth. I guess you'll be changing your mind about the job now, eh? What makes you say that? Well, he's after you, whoever it is. Yes, I know. Uh, You can back out if you want to. And what would you think if I did? Does that make a difference? No, but there are a lot of men in that tunnel who stand to lose their lives. Mac, you've got to get the police. I can't, man, I can't. The publicity would ruin me. All right. Fix it up for me to work down there, and we'll see what happens. 
Okay, so I became a sand hog. For three days, I used muscles that thought they'd gone on a permanent vacation. Well, I woke them up. And they woke me up in the middle of the night, aching. Then one day in the tunnel, I was talking with one of the sand hogs. You know, Dan, you've done pretty well, considering you're new at this. Oh, I ache, Joe. I ache all over. <laughs> You'll get used to it. Mm, I don't think so. But, Joe, tell me something. Sure, what? What about these accidents down here? Oh, them. What about them? Well, maybe they're just part of the job. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think? Well, some of them weren't just like accidents, that's all. I mean, well... Like a hose breaking. Two guys been killed. Now what? Look out! Hey, you all right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. You? I had to shove you, Dan. That car would have clipped you in half. Yeah. Look. Look, who's that? Where? Just going into the decompression chamber. Huh? Well, Harris? Yeah. Yeah, Harris. Oh. See what I mean? That car didn't look like no accident. Thanks, Joe. And this is one time I can honestly say I was, I was glad I was shoved. That's okay. You know something? You were almost as safe to die. Before leaving the tunnel, I ran down to the spot where that car had hit the stop bumper at the end of the track. It was wrecked. But in the wreckage, I found something. One of the tags, like the one I had. This one had the number 57 on it. I slipped it in my pocket. Maybe one of the sand dogs had dropped it. Then, just as I was about to step into the decompression chamber, Angus Campbell came up to me and... Your ship's going off, Don? Yeah, I'm finished for the day. Almost in more ways than one. Huh? What do you mean? Come on, let's get in. I want to get back up. All right. Tired? Oh, I'm worried. I can guess why. Huh? Look, I know you're no writing a story on Sandhogan. I know why you're down here. Oh, you do? Aye. Max desperate. I want him to call the police, but he won't. How did you find out about me? You've been nosing around, then. <laughs> Not obvious, huh? Aye, but be careful, lad. Be careful. Yeah, I will be. Joe told me about the car that almost got you. Somebody sent it down the tracks. Aye. Angus. Aye? You've been with Mac a long time. 30 years. 30 years. Good ones, bad ones. And yet you stay with a job. I could have a top job on the surface. I see. Angus, got any idea who's doing all this? No. Harris? Huh? Why him? Mac doesn't like him. Ah, don't sit, Stan. What point in Harris's ruin is his own father-in-law? Father-in-law to be, Angus. Still no point? Then how about the protection insurance to cover the completion bond? Eh? You mean Mac might be doing this himself to get the insurance? Yeah, this could be. No, no, lad. The insurance wouldn't half cover the loss. No, there's, that, that's no it. And why? Uh, I wish I knew. Competitors, do you think? Who are they? Brill and company. But no, they wouldn't. They'd be too easy to find out. Men got a habit of talking. And talk gets around. No, Dan, that's no them. And then who and Why? Why did someone try to kill me today? You got the answers to those things, Dan, and you'll have the whole thing. Well, we're up at the top. I'll walk to the shack with you. No, I'm going back soon. But I thought you were through for the day. I've still got lots to do. See you tomorrow. <laughs> 
what Angus said made sense. Couldn't be Mac's competitors, because I checked. They'd been in business a long time, had plenty of money behind them. Had gotten a bid for another job upstate. And Harris? Eh, it didn't make sense either. If he was going to be Mac's son-in-law, it just didn't wash that he'd be sabotaging Mac. So I changed clothes, thought a lot, and then went home. Went out to get some dinner when... When it hit me. First a twinge. And sudden cramps that made me bend over as if someone had folded me inward with a baseball bat. The building started to spin, twist. Then it got all nice and dark. You're all right now. I... I know this isn't very original, but... Where am I? Take a deep breath. That's it. Feel better? Lots. What happened? Couldn't have been anything I ate, I... (laughs) You had the bends. The bends? Mm Mm-hmm. The tag around your neck tipped us off you were suffering from caisson disease. So we put you in a chamber. Come on, get up. We may need this chamber for someone else any minute. You make it sound as bad as the housing situation. Guess it is, but you're all right now. Next time, don't come up so fast. But I... I didn't come up fast. Yes? Nothing. Nothing at all. Thanks a million, Doctor. Well, it had me. Good. I knew I came up slowly... Angus had been with me. He... He... Oh, but that couldn't be. Not Angus. The next day I went back to the job. I had just put on my coveralls when... When an idea hit me. I searched in my pocket. Lose something, Dan? Huh? Oh, no, Joe. I, uh... It's easy to drop something out of these coveralls. What's the number of your tag, Joe? Tag? Oh, the one we all wear in case we get the bends on top? Yeah. 502. Why? Got it on? Sure. Always wear it. Here it is. Uh-huh. Why? What are you getting at? I... I don't know. Listen, I'm going back for something I forgot. I'll be a little late on the job. Tell the section boss for me, will you? <laughs> sure. Where are you going? You're all hepped up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I am, Joe. I'll, I'll be back. I went to see Mac. Told him he'd have to go to the tunnel that day and supervise operations. He thought I was crazy. Me? What for? Force your opponents into the open where we can get a shot at them for a change. I don't get this. Look, they're going after you, but by accidents. Things like that. So? But if you're in the workings, they might be tempted to wreck the entire tunnel with one stroke. You mean by going after me? That's it. You want me to lead with my chin like that? I'll call the whole thing off first. Lose the contracts. Money isn't everything. Exactly. You're right. But men have been killed down there. You've got to think of their lives, too. I do. Then get down with me. End this once and for all. Force them into the open. Uh, you're going to? Yeah, because I've got an idea. But I can't prove a thing until we see the last play. I was leading with Mac's chin, and I knew it. But mine was plenty sore, too, and that made me feel a bit better about it. Mac knew he had no choice, and so he decided to go with me into the tunnel. I went to my job, and it was a ticklish feeling, knowing that any minute something might happen. Something that would make Joe, Mac, Angus, any one of us the third to die. Or worse. Then... Hey, Dan. 
Honey? Honey, what? I could have sworn the mud down here wasn't this deep before. What do you mean, Joe? Look. Stand still. Look around. The mud's coming up. It's getting high. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Joe, the pressure in here must be going down. Yeah. Dan, if it gets too low, that wall will come in on us. The whole river will be in our laps. Come on, let's get to the gauges. Dan! Dan, what's the matter? Pressure's going down in here. Come on. There's nothing wrong with the gauges. They read the right pressure. But they can't. The mud's getting higher. Look. Look, the men are coming in. They've seen the mud coming up. These gauges. Hey, there ain't no air being pumped in. The gauges are stuck. Jammed. Somebody jammed them so anybody reading them will think the pressure was okay. Get to the emergency compressors. Pressure's dropping fast. Get to the compressors. Get them on. I got them. Watch the gauges. We're getting pressure now. What's the matter? What happened? Angus, somebody jammed the pressure gauges. To make it look like we had enough in the earth. Jammed? Well, save for those emergency compressors, we'd have been done for. What did you say, Angus? I said the emergency compressors. You said save for the emergency. Save for. Funny way of putting it, Angus. Either in words or on a telegram. What's the matter with you? Where's your tag? Huh? Right here? Yes, with a new chain. So is your tag I picked up in that cart yesterday. The cart that almost killed me. You're crazy. And you, you weren't anywhere around a minute ago. I was coming in here. Dan, what are you trying to see? There's your saboteur. Mine, you're crazy. Stop raving crazy. Yeah? And you went back down yesterday to decompress yourself after I left the chamber. You didn't turn on the decompression valve for me on the way up. You're, you're crazy, man. Not crazy, Angus, because you were the only one who could have played that trick on me. Get me out of the way by failing to turn on the decompression valve. You and I were the only ones in that chamber. Hey, he's running back to the shield. Get him. Get him before he gets the compressors. He'll wreck him. Cut him down. Good. Dan. Dan, I never can thank you enough. But to think that after 30 years, Angus would ever do a thing like this. Mac, don't waste time even thinking about it. Let's go finish this tunnel instead. with him, Mr. Holliday? Jealousy, Susie? You see, he'd worked with Mac as a foreman. Then he saw Mac rise from a foreman to the owner of a big company. For 30 years, every day he'd go into the tunnel just, just an employee, while Mac stayed on top, the big boss. And it kind of made him, well, jealous, huh? To put it mildly, yes. Golly. Well, that makes up my mind for me, Mr. Holliday. Congratulations, Susie. Huh? What do you mean? I quit. Huh? In about 29 years. Oh. <laughs> Good night, Susie. Next week, same time, through the courtesy of Paramount Pictures, Alan Ladd stars as Dan Holliday in Box 13. Box 13 is directed by Richard Sandville. Three to Die is an original story by Mr. Sandville, adapted for radio by Russell Hughes. Original music is composed and conducted by Rudy Schrager. The part of Susie is played by Sylvia Picker. Production is supervised by Vern Carstensen. This is a Mayfair production from Hollywood. Watch for Alan Ladd in his latest Paramount picture. And that's Box 13 from January 23rd, 1949 with Three to Die, starring Alan Ladd with Sylvia Picker as his secretary, Susie. 
and that's syndicated over the Mutual Broadcasting System. Hope you enjoyed that. Let's take a break. Then it's more on Hollywood 360. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Carl Amari. To my right, the one and only Lisa Wolf, the very vivacious Lisa Wolf. And I haven't left you yet. How long have we been doing this show together? Two, I think. Too, Too long. long, yeah. I'm with you on that. Yeah, uh, actually, I think 2009. Yes, we started in April of 2009. I know because every time I uh, April comes around, I I say, ugh, ugh another, another year, year, another year with I Lisa. Put up with you for another year. Yeah, and Mike Estella was not our original no? producer of this show. I think I came on board in 2013, actually. Wow, like really? Box You're 13. a baby still. Yes. A I, baby. I'm the only person that stuck with you from the start. I'm just going to mention You have that. a lot of patience. I wasn't oh, offered sure. from the start. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know Carl then. Yeah. Well, actually, I did. I was working on a project with you, and then... You, know, you were working on uh, my audio Bible yes. project, yeah, with all the celebrities, and you did an awesome job on that. And I said, you know what? This guy is better than the producer I have working on the show now, so guess what? He got the axe, and Mike got the job, right? And I guess that's we are both out. happy for that no, change. No, that's, that's really not what happened, though, I it's think. It's not. The other engineer um, went on to something else. He did it. He was doing a different show. Yeah, he went on to something else. I, I've, I've given the axe to very few people in my, in my life. I won't name them. Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> I really have not fired very many people, you know? There have been a few along just the way. Just a couple. Just a few, maybe. But out of the millions of people that have worked for me... Right. They all just tend to, you know, go off on their own. They actually just find better they, find better gigs. Yeah, I didn't say that. I just was being diplomatic no, about it. I know. All right. Well, um but it's luckily, good to... luckily you're still here yes. and Mike is here. And yes. this is going to be the nucleus, I think, for a long, long time. That's hey, this plan. is a pretty fun gig. Yeah, it's, it is a lot of fun. You know, I mean, uh, getting to work with me is great, isn't it? <laughs> That's what guys? I was thinking. Yeah. yeah, it's just awesome, isn't it? Yes, we are very lucky. No, I'm the lucky one. No, no, really, Getting to work with lucky. the two of you. All right, enough of that. Let's mention that this show has a four-hour podcast on our website along with a bonus hour. So, folks, if you miss any of our Hollywood 360 radio show each week, you can just go to Hollywood360radio.com, and there's a four-hour podcast there along with a bonus hour, so please check that out. Now, on our next show, it's The Adventures of Sam Spade Detective and Part 1 of My Friend Irma, so stick around for that. 